I can't do anything about it. I either let it go or I, I right. start screaming for help here. Now, my scream at the time, I, I remember my scream. It was very sad. <laughs> it was like, it was sad. It was a sad scream. I was like, like one of those uh, cat caught in the rain. Yeah. Hi, my name is Joel Miller, and today we are listening to my podcast, Party Like a Rockstar. We're brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an L.A.-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. No vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. Steve Creep was Frank Hannon's tech with Tesla opening for Def Leppard on the 2019 hits tour and did the following American dates, which I did not write down, but there were some fucking American dates. There were some American dates. There were some American dates. Then he worked for the Canadian band Moist, uh, which I looked up and they're really big, man. I hadn't heard of them, but they're so they're like the top 50 bands of Canada for uh, like a two year period. While on the payroll at Maddie's place in Montreal, he's worked for Foreigner, Quiet Riot, The Beach Boys, and Leonard Skinnerd. My second guest is Keith Robert Warshalock. He's worked for Twisted Sister, Wasp, Lita Ford, (laughs) Bernie Williams from the New York Yankee (laughs) All-Star. We got it. (laughs) I don't understand. Delana, who I actually wrote a song with Delana at one point. And uh, Scotty Moore, Elvis Presley's guitar player. Fucking very cool. Obviously, very, 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 very cool. So um, we were talking about him auditioning to play for Lita Ford as a a guitar player, as a guy in the band. And I thought it was interesting because I haven't really heard, you know, on the the first one I aired, I don't know if you watched, it was with John Mann. And he got the job working for Elton John. He he performed in the kitchen at his friend's house. And something like that and then and then he had to really go perform for elton and uh he did it like out of the country he he went somewhere in europe and and uh and and did right. it and then he got the gig and he's been with them since like 1992 or four That's or something crazy crazy yeah killer wow. gig and he's been with them for fuck i mean <laughs> did, you, did you ever hear the story about how dana strum got randy Rhodes in ozzy's band no so no. to make a long story short, there's, there's a clip of Dana talking about it online and he's, he goes on for about 20 minutes, but in short, basically Ozzy was blasted and he was making Dana run around writing this list that he had been told to search. And Dana's like, no, no, I got the guy. I got the guy, but he wouldn't listen. So finally he's belligerent. He takes him to the house and uh, Randy's not even in the room. He's playing like in another room and he's just cranking his marshal through. So Ozzy's like, yeah, he's hard, whatever. Let, let's just go. <laughs> He, he t- takes him home all smashed and he never even saw what Randy Rhodes looked like. Wow. So he just turned him through a wow. kitchen. Yeah. He, Ozzy just wouldn't let up on this list that his people, I guess said, listen, you got to go through these guys. And I think Gary Moore was on the list and all that. And the guy's like, uh, Dana sure. was like, Gary Moore is phenomenal, but he's not the right guy. I got the guy. Trust me. And so, yeah, it was Dana. That's I wonder, if Brad, I wonder if Brad Gillis is one of the top choices. I don't know. I mean, for Randy. Maybe. You know? I mean, as far as player wise, he's he's great, but I just didn't find he was a right vibe for the band. Right. Sure. Yeah. He did oh, a great kind of a look and everything, you know. Yeah. 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 So what happened with Lita Ford? 
yeah, so, you know, I was we were ch- chatting about stuff, you know, and I had mentioned that I had worked for Lita Ford for a couple of years, but before that, prior to that, I was divulging a, a story about how uh, I had filmed the uh, audition secretly. Okay. Yeah, you gotta watch <laughs> this guy. Uh, That's what he was getting. I gotta watch this guy. <laughs> yeah, because I like to do. I like to keep memories of. I well, have at the a very lot least, you got you have the story because no somebody might not believe you. Sure, exactly. And I would, I've never released it. I never, I'm not that type of person that needs to put that kind of stuff on social media or, or bloke about it or anything like that. But, uh, like, you know, I, I guess it would it's be great. bad though. I mean, it's not like, no, get, and, and get the fuck no off my stage, you, right. you worthless piece of shit or something. <laughs> no, I, we did like two, you know, we did the two or three main songs and like, I'll never forget seeing the manager, you know, from, uh, you know Steve Creep, uh, the manager from Collier Entertainment. Yeah, uh, he he's sitting in the back. He's like, <laughs> I, just, I go, why aren't I singing? When I asked you the other week, what do I have to do when I come in to play the songs? He goes, oh, just play guitar. I go, oh, that's great. Uh, so I came in knowing only the guitar parts, and like, right. it's like, why aren't you singing? I'm like, well, I don't know. Nobody said sing. You know, foolish of me. You know, but it, it, mm. that's not the real reason why I got it. it. Just I wasn't right, the right fit at the time. Well, 2020 <laughs> hindsight too. I mean, sure, again. of course. Well, year was, was that? Great, yeah, but it was a great experience. She was she was super nice about it and a great moment to you know, at least capture and look back on in one day. And, but then I, a couple of years later, got to working with her, you know, after the many other gigs that I've been Did doing. she remember you? Oh yeah. She was very, very, very cordial. She was very, very, what, nice. uh, yeah. what year was the audition? It's gotta be 2007, 2006, 2008, because the wild street started 2008, 2009. And that was, that was before I went from, you know, the <clears throat> little, little seed to, beautiful flower yeah. you know and uh <laughs> so it was uh, did, about uh, that time did matt star ever show you his audition tape for wasp no <laughs> apparently he didn't get the gig because he was bald <laughs> no kidding <laughs> because back then that, you needed an image right there you wasn't needed, too many, yeah this was around the crimson idol i believe it was pretty I mean, pretty you early on you got hairy guys think that's so funny you fuck for acdc <laughs> you, you know <laughs> <laughs> well acdc that'll work because they're a little more you know yeah. wasp is a very hair oriented flamboyant band sure you know? so uh, uh, <laughs> i know i don't know i'm not sure even uh if uh joel got through uh the the complete uh beginning intro or anything like that but i got a hell of a wasp story so whenever you're ready to hear a wasp wasp story good. you sure. when, when well, is there not know? a good time to hear a story yeah, about yeah. wasps uh you know there's not many motherfuckers that I hate in the business, but uh, he's the worst. He's he's. The you said he worst. owes you money or some shit. Oh man, does he owe me money? Uh, <laughs> so my first twisted Europe gig was about 2006 or so, something like that. So we fly out to my first my first European gig with Twisted. I've been working with Twisted for many years before that, but they had a, a bunch of revolving guys and, and scenarios and situations why they would take guys across and why they wouldn't. So things were getting a little serious. So I get, I get involved. I finally get my first road trip to uh, Bulgaria. <clears throat> so I get to Twisted Sister. I fly home on Sunday and on Monday – Collier Entertainment's like, hey, you want to go back to Bulgaria? I'm like, yeah. Like, when? He's like, Friday morning. I'm like, I'm in. I'm like, who is it for? He's like, Wasp. I'm like, no. I'm like, this is going to be, this is going to be hell. This is going to be my test. So to try to wrap up a long story short, um, 
you know, from what I remember, okay, me and the crew flew, uh, East Coast, uh, East Coast crew flew to Bulgaria, management, et cetera, et cetera. We were meeting the whole band and everybody like that from, from LA. So everybody's coming. So they decided to ship all the main gear, the main props, the main electronics, everything main, strip down shows for two shows only, Bulgaria and Istanbul, Turkey. And then we're flying to England to pick up the stage set, the bike, you know, right, the pyro, yeah. everything like that. We, we're gonna all get the everything other stuff. In, yeah. yeah, we're going to get everything in England and start the tour and go crazy from there. So we do these two strip down gigs. I'm like, all right, good. Give me a chance to get warmed up. <clears throat> First gig. And you're uh, so what? You're guitar teching or you're doing a little bit I'm of guitar teching? I'm guitar right. teching, bass teching, and there's not many crew. There's maybe a, a drum tech and, a, and, a, and me and management. Yeah. That's about it. So we get to the first uh, gig and uh, they all they they all forgot to bring their power adapters, European right. power adapters for their wireless right. units. So now I have nothing to plug them in for wireless. Now you have an 80s metal glam band, blah, 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 who has to be wireless because you have to be wireless, you know, right. even with the circumstances, the scenarios, the conditions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, all right. So like we're in Bulgaria on a farm. I've got no radio shacks. I got nowhere to go. Got nothing to do, right? right? right. So they're like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Believe it or not, Doug, the guitar player, was actually pretty smart. He's like, this is how you do it. You wire ser batteries in series. You take two batteries, you split a female uh, input conditioner or a cable, split it and wire it to two batteries, plug it into the wireless, and it's going. The problem is it only lasts for like two or three songs. I mean, the wireless, the wireless yeah. is burning. It's going to burn. It's going to burn, yeah. Super duper fast. So this is my first problem. Now I've got a case of batteries like this big in front of me. And now I have to change them during the middle of songs. I have to change them in the middle of drum solos. I got to change them. It's getting a little crazy here. So we run out of batteries. We ran out of about 62 batteries in about six songs. It was wow. disgusting. I mean, I'm like changing them. I'm watching like the things die. Yeah, dip, yeah maybe eight songs maybe 10 songs out of a 20 song set is the single um, going dead dead like as the song's going it's, everything's dropping everything's dropping everything's yeah. dropping Ugh. i'll never forget running out i'm like i'm out of batteries okay so i'm in all black i'm doing the job i know how to work i know how to roadie i know how to be conscious of the show i run a thousand foot guitar cable from here all the way squared out to the front of the stage and he's in the middle of some song like probably i don't know I don't know the songs crimson he's doing something slow and dark and everything like that and he's got no guitar so i'm like i'm like here's a guitar cable and i plug it in and now he's got guitar oh boy that was a bad idea that was a bad idea he, he didn't like it new, he, he ripped me a new asshole after that show for that okay so That's like I a dog no like biting you for saving it from drowning yeah oh no yeah. doubt about it no doubt about yeah. it you know, so like while this is all happening on the first gig in Istanbul, you know, we get through the bullshit. We get to, I'm sorry, Bulgaria. We get to the second gig in Istanbul and it's a Sunday, a like uh, religious holiday in Istanbul. Nothing's open. Nobody will talk to you. Nobody will help you or anything. I've got nothing. I've got no power for the, for, for the, for the delay pedals. I got no power for the wireless units. We, once again, we got a hundred batteries. So here I go throughout the whole set. <laughs> I turn around at one point in the song. I think it's like L O V E machine. And I turn around, I look that way and I go, Oh, the fucking Marshall blew up on fucking stage. So I'm like, oh. you motherfucker. I'm like, I got other things to worry about. I can't worry about this fire right now. Right. right? So when we were doing this, we're doing that, <clears throat> get to the drum solo. 
This is when I couldn't believe my eyes. I'm changing the batteries for Doug and the bass players, uh, wireless units, and for some reason, Blackie Lawless just fists me right in the back of the leg, like as hard as he could. And I turn Jesus. around and I look at the guitar player, the bass player, Blackie and the manager of Collier. And I look at everybody. I'm like, and he's like, it's not my unit. It's their units. I go, that's what I'm doing. Right. So now all this, you know, like this is like my first like big European six month road trip. I'm about to cash in. I'm about to like, I'm like one of the best in the business. I'm dedicated. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make everything happen every night. If you give me the fucking tools to do it. Right. Right. So all I knew is that we were uh, jumping down uh, to the to the uh, to the vans to get to the airport. We were going to fly from like uh, we I think we were flying from like Istanbul to Italy to Italy to England, and then we were going to take off. I get in the uh, the caravan, <laughs> and the manager's like, "Hey, anybody get a pen?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got a pen. Here you go." Signing my life away. I, little did I know that this was the ink that was sending me home. He's like, "Blackie thinks you're a good guy, but he's sending you home." I'm like, "You mother." fucker i'm like this isn't my fault like i tried everything to make this whole gig work i mean i knew i i knew what i was up against with blackie lawless but i was like man you're getting rid of the wrong person they sent me on a wild goose chase trying to get home didn't get but you know once you get home and and you think back about it you can rest knowing that the next guy is not going to have any better fate than you did Oh, and, the, and, and they the can sit, they can throw the, the blame. Guy. Yeah, they can blame oh, yeah. everybody they want, but it's getting the same results, you know? Sure, sure. That was my, uh, I think it was a 72 hour uh, wasp tour that I was oh. on. And, uh, <laughs> I'd say it was short. Like, I just, yeah. Maybe, maybe 73 hours, you know? But <laughs> I get home, I start calling everybody. They're like, yo, what's up? Where are you at in Europe? I'm like, I'm home in Long Island. <laughs> oh, this is when you're still out east. Yeah. Yeah. How many transformers do you have now for the year? <laughs> I got a case of them here, man. It's I, I overkill. I bring like five uh, of them. I'm good with them now. Yeah. So yeah, I it had, was crazy. I, it was crazy. I had the opposite uh, experience. Like I was more like uh, Frank's hangout buddy. <laughs> like, the guy's like the easiest person to get along with and to work for. Like, thank God he didn't have any Floyd roses. So I didn't deal with that. He was playing only, uh, he had his a uh, few maestros on his uh, SGs, but aside right. from that, there was no Floyd Roses. Uh, he, he ran a wire in all the arena, likes it old school, so it's all jacks, right? Sure. So as long as I made sure that he was in tune, I was I had no problems at all. It was uh, it was crazy. Wow. You know, half the time they're in the arena. Some don't... no, no, go half time the arena. Well, I was just saying, no, are they are they gearing up no. to do shows? Uh, yeah, as far as I know, they've got a couple booked already. I'm not going to be part of it, but they got a, they got a few coming up. Like I was, uh, I was hired just by Mitch LaFon is the, uh, I don't know if you know who he is, uh, well-known. Yeah. He's a well-known writer here. Anyway, he called me up one day out of the blue and he's like, Hey, uh, Frank Hannon needs a tech for the Def Leppard tour. Do you want to do it? I said, well, I'm not really a guitar tech, you know, like I'm, I play music for a living. And I know a few things. I mean, I started as a drummer when I, when I met Keith, I was actually drumming in a band with him. And uh, uh, we we played maybe a handful of shows together. So like that was my only experience with with uh, with him at this point. But I called him and I asked him for advice and a few other people. But uh, so, yeah, so I said, yeah, I'll do the Canadian dates. But I didn't even have a passport at this point. I didn't even have my birth certificate in order to get a passport. So I had to scramble hard. But I wasn't going to turn up something like that. I said, I'll dive in first and I'll figure out as I go. You know, 
So uh, then he put me in touch with Frank and we started talking. He said, look, it's just easy, man. I just need, need my guitars handed to me in tune and clean. And, you know, uh, just don't be a, don't be a mess. You know, he asked me if I had any substance abuse problems. I said, no, man, let's, let's do it. You know? So uh, then as the, like the roadie rider turkey on my rider yeah, yeah. yeah. roadie rider yeah. like how do you get a job is like don't smell like shit okay yeah. okay okay i got that i got that i got it's, that. it's pretty yeah. easy actually when you think about it and, heroin and then, uh, good heroin bad right well yeah, yeah well as the tour went on he's like he's like do you want to do some american dates at the end of this i'm like well i i don't have my passport i'm still waiting on it i go if i can get it in time i'll, I'll commit to those two so we ended up doing that and halfway through that, he want, he was asking me already about the tour after, which uh, Keith and I we were we we're going to do something in Vegas for Kiss Night. He invited me, and then there was a whole a whole roadblock there with me uh, and my passport. But uh, so yeah, in the end, uh, halfway through the tour, they had a, a meeting, and Frank was in the cab. He was all upset, and he's like, "Oh man, they're, they want to play, they want to take more time off. I want to gig more, and they uh, they want to downsize on the uh, on the on the crew." So they want to have guys doing multiple things. So they were teaching the road manager how to do monitors. Like that's how they were scaling back. And I think they wanted one guy to do both guitar players or maybe divide it up somehow, you know, because so, when I was with them, each guy had their own tech and there was an assistant and a, you know, monitor, uh, sound man, manager. It was a full crew plus a lighting guy and a merch guy. So uh, they were trying to find ways of cutting costs. And I, I was hired as a temp anyway, but it looked promising like I was going to continue. And then uh, they said, ah, the budget, uh, they're trying to cut it short. So I don't know what they're doing now if they've got one guy doing multiple jobs. But let me tell you, uh, Frank's an easy job, but it's still a big job because he likes his guitars. So he's like Rick Nielsen. He'll, he'll change guitars like almost every song or two. And he's got the double neck with the acoustic. So yeah. you got to be on him. He's he, you got to bring that acoustic on stage several times in the show, and sure. he's got to stare him in. I mean, there's there's you got to be hands on. So maybe the bass tech could share with the drum tech. I don't I don't know how they're going to do it though. Yeah, maybe you'll get a call. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm on good terms with him. I I actually keep in touch with uh, touch with uh, Jeff Keith more than anybody. We would go to baseball because he was a, a sports fan. So we go to baseball games and. We stay in touch and we laugh about shit. I wish him a happy birthday and Merry Christmas and all that. And he's he's always the first to to respond, you know. It's very cordial of you, Steve. Yeah. Now I'm Canadian, right? He's Canadian. Canadian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about sports for a second. What the fuck did you do for Bernie Williams? Oh man, what a crazy story. So like you gotta you gotta remember like back in ninety-seven when I was on my first tour out of high school. My buddy, I was in a Kiss tribute band at the time. <clears throat> My buddy would be put makeup on. He goes, dude, you know, there's this guy on the New York Yankees. He plays guitar in the dugout before or the, the locker room. I'm like, no way. And I'm like half in the bag half the time. I'm young. I mean, I always love sports. I kind of grew up as a Met fan, so I didn't give a fuck about the Yankees at the time. And uh, I'm like, yeah, years later, uh, I realized it was Bernie Williams and I had a buddy of mine who I used to tour manage for named Aaron Kanata. His father was Richie Kanata, who was the every saxophone solo that you know from every famous Billy Joel song. That's Richie Kanata. Oh, okay. So we I had a good rapport with him and his son. And uh, so they're kind of like, uh, they're kind of this high end A plus like New York City, like kind of like crew of musicians that are like unbeatable, you know? So when Bernie Williams was be having, having a band put together, um, 
obviously Richie got the gig with a bunch of other guys, very, very, very big hitters in New York City. So I got the call and uh, they're like, hey, you want to come down and ready for Bernie Williams? I'm like, well, yeah, of course. So there was only like this one gig. It was in the Bronx, no less, of course. And um, a great little side story. I remember um, bringing a baseball because I, I thought I'd never see him again. So I only did one gig with him. Uh, at the time I was only doing one gig and I figured uh, if I'm not going to see him again, maybe I can get him to do a sign of baseball, you know, every kid wants their baseball signed by 100%. a major league MVP. You know what I mean? Uh, let alone MVP, let alone all-star, let alone world championship, you know, and a uh, real solid guy. I mean, non-controversial. He's got no problems in this guy's life. <clears throat> so long story short, um, I get into this gig with him and it's kind of unique and weird because like he's not a crazy ruckus rock star you know he's not very very high demand yet at times you know just based on him not being a 20 30 year musician there were times where a lot of things i had to figure out and kind of work with him and kind of like kind of just like ease his mind by saying hey look that's really not going to work this situation's not going to work you know this this thing right here in this place right here this effect this box or whatever you bring in it it's not going to work so there yeah, were kind sometimes of, kind a less of, experienced a less experienced boss can be you know it can be a headache sometimes challenging right because you're you're taking orders from somebody who doesn't know what he's doing right you know? now i'm in so, a position to try to help us or is he playing his own stuff? So Bernie Williams put out a couple great, great albums. Okay. So like um, it's a total mixture of rock and roll, samba, jazz, blues, Borica kind of music, you know, the whole thing, the Latin groove, the American groove, the blues groove. He's got it all. Now, let me tell you something. This guy is probably one of the best guitar players in the world. And like half the population knows it. You know, it's so weird to see this like guy that I idolized as a superstar. Like here I am, I'm like working with him and he's just being a real cordial, very, very cordial, just great guitar player, just great, solid. He knew how to jam, he knew how to uh, improvise the whole nine yards. And it was kind of funny. It was kind of cute because like it was a nine piece band and a one roadie. So we always joked around that well, there's nine guys on the field and one bat boy. You know, so it's kind, yeah, yeah. it kind of a cute little story. Yeah, yeah. But he would tell us some really, really great stories about Steinbrenner and kind of like things that no fans would really ever know about the Yankees, right. old Yankees, new Yankees. You know, we sat there, you know, uh, I wound up doing about 18 gigs with him over a couple of years because unfortunately, Bernie wasn't a tour kind of band, you know. Boy, did I ever want to do a tour with him, but we just, it wasn't, it was kind of like the metropolitan New York area, you know, kind of hoity-toity gigs, et cetera. Less, less headaches for you, less traveling. So it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty it light, great. you know, it's light. Yeah. Did you tell him you didn't want to hear his stories because you like the Mets and you give a shit? <laughs> no, at this point, <laughs> I, w I was kind of converting over to a Yankee because like to me as a kid, like, you know, uh, Mets were like Kiss, uh, Yankees were like Led Zeppelin. You know what I mean? So I was kind of like, I was going the ways of the dark side with the Yankees as it is. I got a couple buddies who they're so hardcore Met fan. Yeah. Oh yeah, they, yeah. No, they like I, wouldn't take that. the gig probably. Sure, Actually, no, I, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Well, as a as a Montrealer, I liked the Mets too because Gary Carter went there. Oh yeah, yeah. Gary Carter. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually had a Mets helmet when I was a kid. Like. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, you, a couple of unique stories about the Bernie thing is like, 
me and Aaron Canada were Aaron Canada was a, a singer for the band and we just kind of the young ones and we kind of put this plan together we're like okay at this gig we're gonna bring a bunch of mitts with us and balls and we're gonna go to dinner and after dinner we're gonna say to each other hey Aaron you want to have a catch outside and Aaron's like yeah you want to go throw a ball around and then we exactly what we targeted exactly what we set out to do happened Bernie <laughs> goes huh Oh, in his Barriqua accent, he goes, "Oh, yeah. are you uh, are you guys going to have a catch? Are you going to have a catch right now?" <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, do you want to enjoy? It? Do you want to join us?" He's like, "You have a mitt?" I'm like, "Yeah, I got a fucking mitt." Right. So now we're outside in the parking lot having a fucking catch with a New York Yankee. I'm like, this is I'm fucking incredible. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. It's like that. Uh, you ever see that Sunny in Philadelphia episode where they, uh, <laughs> where they go, yeah, totally. hey, wasn't Chase Huntley or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Getting all smashed, totally. and the, the players are like, "Uh, what's this? <laughs> yeah, that's how we got to organize a world tour, man." Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Maybe that's the that's the field. You pull people up from the audience, and you have you play a catch. <laughs> exactly. Play a catch. Hey, you know, you get them in their element. You know what I'm saying? But he's uh, really cool. I want to hear his music now. Maybe I'll look. Oh, it up. No, you're gonna. Uh, there's a couple great, great tracks. Very, really? very, yeah. very good music. Yeah. Uh, one last story, I'll, and I'll stop taking up all the mic. But this one great, this <laughs> one. Can we go for whatever? Yeah. So I had this like on the first gig. I got that ball sign. Remember on the first gig, I got this ball. Yeah. The ball went missing for like four or five months. Right? Did the guy from Wasp steal your ball? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, retribution. Yeah. So I get it back, and I go. Long story short, I have a baseball that's all every gig that we did with Bernie because Bernie one day he was like hey where's that gig ball we turned it into the gig ball so he would right. sign it and date it so there's like 18 Bernie Williams signatures on one <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't think anybody nobody in the world has a New York Yankee item with that many baseball yeah. item with That's a, super uh, fun. I love it super fun yeah <laughs> like all the signatures all Bernie Williams with the dates on it of every gig I love it funny it's great great Right. How did you two meet up? How did you guys meet one another? Uh, do you want to do this, Keith? Oh my God, uh, I'm gonna miss out. I'm gonna miss some information here, but it's gotta be. It's the D. Snyder thing, uh, right? But uh, it, it was the Christmas party. I think was the, the first time. Party. That was the first gig. That was our first gig together. I think that was our first gig together. Okay. We did a handful, but that was our first. It's got to be about 2000. Yeah, exactly. 2001. So I remember specifically, it was very interesting. I was living in Long Island. You're living in Montreal. Montreal. Matt and Chad. Uh, Chad are living in Connecticut. Yeah. And at the time we were in a band called? Uh, the Flames. The Flames, right. So... You know, once again, I'm the newbie, you know, I'm kind of the young kid and uh, they're, uh, we just, I knew Matt from, you know, circumstance with things when I was a young kid as well. Um, and I just never forget, we, uh, our first gig was playing for D Snyder at the Mohegan Sun, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, yeah that was where the party was. Christmas party. Right. And I think at that point I had already known D. I, I definitely knew D, you know, I wasn't working for Twisted right at that moment but shortly after that i started working with twisted uh but yeah that was our first gig with the christmas party at d snyder and then um <clears throat> what, what brought we, matt to asking you to play because they we were a trio i'd done a tour or two with matt as a trio yeah, i mean it was kind of a unique thing because i know you guys were very interested in only being a trio but i guess you know me at the time me and matt's relationship it was kind of like you know kind of 
maybe sort of quasi he close, couldn't play yeah. leads too i maybe wanted a lead player that sure yeah so throw yeah. throw the lead guy in you know and uh i learned a lot playing with the flames i think it was the first time i started realizing that there were people who were going to make music hard on me and right uh, it was interesting to see like them go, no, that's not right. I think you need to do it again or let's mm-hmm. do it again. Or better yet, we, I mean, <clears throat> when my parents would go out for like four or five days to the casino, these guys would show up at my fucking house. All the fucking gear goes in, all the fucking, the, 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 the couches, the TVs, the, everything goes in the garage and the band sets up and we're playing for hours on end, just mm-hmm. destroying people's ears, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, but it was the first I'm time just, that, uh, uh, does Joel Joel do you know Matt Starr by any chance? I don't think so. No. He's Ace Frehley's current drummer. He played with Mr. Big for a little while, but back then, he was. Uh, he, he, I think him and Chad made this. It was supposed to be lighthearted fun band. And he's playing guitar and he's singing. So uh, I got the gig because his something happened with his drummer, and the, he he would like pay my tickets out on the bus to go to Connecticut to play these tours. But anyway, yeah. Matt ended up moving to L.A. and now he's playing with Ace Frehley and stuff. But uh, back then he was just a singer guitar player in that band. But he'd been a drummer long before that. I think it was just kind of like a fun side thing. But the band ended up sounding really cool. So it's uh, it did. One of yeah. our one of our greater accomplishments was kind of uh, almost beating Def Leppard at their own game. Uh, we did three gigs in 24 hours rather than three gigs in I think seven different countries or whatever they did. Right. Uh, yeah. But that was one of my favorite gigs is we woke up, we did a gig, I think early in the morning, right for the radio station. Or was that the D gig? Yeah. No, I, I, know. I don't know. So we did an early gig. At like that's a blur. I remember it was exhausting, but it was fun. Yeah, we did it. Uh, and we drove about 200 miles or 150 miles to do lunch gig. And then we drove about 300 miles or 250 to about to do like a, uh, a night gig. It was great. 24 brutal though we packed it we packed it in it was fucking amazing and at those times i mean no cell phones no beepers no facebook no nothing just right eye on the prize eye on the fun living in the fucking moment yeah i'm trying to remember like because we did play in new york city together because i have photos of us in a bar in new york and i'm I'm trying to remember all the shows we did i I, the one that sticks out to me more than anything is the d snyder thing because Sure. For obvious reasons. I stole D. Snyder's Santa hat that day. You did. You yeah. did steal that. Yes. <laughs> He's got absolutely. such a big head, it goes like over my head. <laughs> yeah. Like it's like wearing a mask. Where was the Christmas party? At the Mohegan Sun. Yeah, the, the casino. casino. It's a casino yeah. out in uh, Connecticut. And, uh, and Sebastian Bach and Leif Garrett were the other guests. That's right. So, yeah. Wow. So we shared the green room with both of them. Yeah. It was, a, and it was we, a you know, and we're in true rock and roll form. We're just like I think we we may have asked Leif Garrett a couple uh, uncomfortable questions. I think because we well, had Leif, already started Leif drinking. Leif was ready to rock and yeah, but Leif was ready to rock and roll. He's like, "Here's yep. my hotel. Let, let's go smash yes. our hotel room." He yeah, was he, he was ready to <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. But Sebastian Bach was like a Canadian David Lee Roth. You know, he just totally. he was just. <laughs> you know, one of my I'll tell you a great story. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, Sebastian Bach, when I was playing with Jesse Camp in 1998-1999 uh we happened to go see motley crew and i know it was in november in new york city at rose not roseland i think that's what it was called roseland no yeah, not roseland, roseland it was, uh, Be- beacon sure. beacon beacon okay. for sure beacon theater all right i remember it was jesse's fucking birthday and motley crew threw him a birthday party over at mtv and then we all go to see motley crew over at the beacon now i'll never forget being in the hallway 
between Sebastian Bach and Dave the Snake Snabel. Snabel, is that, is that, am I saying that right? Snabel? Sabo, Sabo? Sabo, So I'm in the middle of Sable. these two mm-hmm. fucking guys, and it's like the first time they've seen each other since Skid Row's broken up. Oh, you told me this. And, and Sebastian's that. like, hey, what's up, Dave? And Dave is like, what's up, Sebastian? Harder. And then Sebastian's like, harder. And Dave is like, harder than that one. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm in the fucking middle of this right now. <laughs> and that's all they fucking said. And then that was the end. They just said hello six times and went back and forth, hit each other without giving each other black eyes. And I'm just like, I'm literally in the middle. Like, well, wasn't wait, the, what year wasn't is this? The initial- 98. It's got to be 98. Wasn't that like the like Sab- Sable? The reason why he's not in the band? Didn't he say something about his mother or some crap? And like something he couldn't take back? Well, you can't you can't insult mom, you know. No, you leave you that can't out. Insult mom. You yeah. that, you don't, don't 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 talk about my mother like that. You know. The what snake talks <laughs> shit to, to to Sebastian Box's mom. No, Sebastian said something about uh, about snake Sable's mom? mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. snake's a good guy, dude. His stories are fucking amazing oh i'm sure amazing sure. i'm trying to get him on here i've texted him a couple times he hasn't he hasn't, he hasn't. what about you joel have you, have you ever like uh played or tech do you have any crazy stories or no i'm boring so <laughs> what's the story you gave me some notes i'm going through the notes so i saved george thurgood's guitars but he doesn't know he doesn't know he doesn't know, he where doesn't was, know where they, what did you do Wait, are you ready are you, for this? you're like a guitar missionary <laughs> this is one of my favorite like jedi sith stories i've ever had in my life okay so i'm gonna take a swig <laughs> yeah swig away cheers to the golden knights they got to get a win tonight boys let's go get a yeah. win all right we know the habs ain't getting any so so uh me and joel were talking earlier joel knows about mates uh steve do you remember me working for mates the cartage company in la basically a rock and roll cartage oh. company yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive the trucks yeah. around, pick up all the A plus stars gear, deliver to wherever they need to be, do whatever you gotta do. Bigger gigs, bigger gigs, whatever, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's one gig, you know, the wise asses that were working the uh, desk that day, they're like, Oh, just send Keith out alone. Yeah, no problem. He's on a, like a 16 foot, you know, tr- box truck. And this fucking, this fucking, you know, uh the 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 the, the gate that comes out is broken every other Tuesday and a half. I figured today was my lucky day. I thought Wednesday was a good lucky day. So we showed up to a gig off of uh, Wilshire somewhere, not the Wilshire Theater, but somewhere in one of these places. And I'm delivering in this 16-foot box truck two major, huge, like, guitar vaults, right? Now, I don't go snooping in there, but I'm going to take a safe spot here, safe, safe say and say his White Falcon's in there. Okay. No doubt. Okay. All right. So we got one that's about 800 pounds. I got one that's about 500 pounds. Well, the 500 pound one, I seem to get it onto the the uh, gate, okay? And, you know, I'm all by myself. There's no stop bar. There's no, like, safety bar so that something rolls off this thing. It's just a metal <laughs> gate. So I lock all the wheels. I got to hold onto the gate, put the lever down, and get it down safely, lift it up myself, get in there, and get the first one in there. I figure that's the 500 pounds. I get to the next one. Now I'm not even thinking about it. I figured, you know what? Yeah, today's a good day. It's going, well, it's going well so far. I get it onto the metal gate. And the gate just goes. Oh. <laughs> so it goes about a couple of degrees down. 
And basically, if I decided to just sit back and go like this, it would have fell over, mm. probably ruined everything, probably hit the car about six feet away, maybe rolled right. into the street. It would have been a mess. A mess. But my Jedi instincts kick in. And thank God today's the day I'm wearing those rock and roll steel toe boots. <laughs> Catch the lever. You know, it's a big guitar vault. Yeah. Big fucking They weigh a ton. Yeah, they weigh a ton. Yeah, if you don't know what it is out there, we're talking a big monstrosity of a of a vault here, right? It holds it holds probably about eight eight guitars, give or take. Correct. And everything else that goes in. And then everything else, those those drawers that have like your strings and things, you know. I just grab it and the thing falls, but it sticks on my foot. So thank God I got the steel toe on today. And I'm holding it. And now I'm like, well. Like in the next like 12 seconds, I have this conversation with myself. I'm like, well, I, I can't do anything about it. I either let it go or I, I right. start screaming for help here. Now, my scream at the time, I, I remember my scream. It was very sad. <laughs> it was like, it was sad. It was a sad scream. I was like, like one of those uh, cat caught in the rain. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> like screaming and i look up like you know on wilshire boulevard i look up in the air and i see this guy cleaning windows like eight eight like level eight levels up and i'm like he ain't helping me and there's no one around there's no local crew helping me there's no thoroughbred good uh crew helping me there's nobody helping me i'm just on my own it's like 9 15 in the morning so it's not quite busy and i'm just screaming at the bloody top of my lungs fortunately fate would have it about a gentleman about in his late 70s early 80s come running over now i said to myself this guy ain't gonna help this situation no thank you for <laughs> he's 80 thank years you for... old how fast is he running over <laughs> he's a limber he's yeah, a limber at 70 80 he, he, he's healthy he's healthy you All know right. but thankfully this young this young buck come around and like he's like what, what do you need us to do what do you need us to do so i got two guys i'm like just push that fucking case up as fast as you can so now we get it onto the lip i go hold it there so that I could make the mechanics, bring it down right. safely and get it up there. So I, I thought to myself all these years, I said, you know, George, you don't know this, but I could have let your case go. I, I right. could have just let it go. I could have just not gave a fuck. I could have said, you know, I could have said I'm more important than the job. I could have said whatever, but I'm a war machine. I'm a trooper. I'm a lifer. I held on to that motherfucker so bad. <laughs> and I held on to it because I cared about those guitars. So right. fate would have it. I got the people of the angels was sent down from above to help me make this happen. And boy, was I in a pissed off mood for the rest of the day. Herculean yeah. strength, dude. Herculean strength. It, it all kicked in there at that very moment. You know, a quick little story. I'll, I won't make this one too long, but I'll never forget. Because like Eddie, when I was working for Twisted Sister, many, 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 many years, many years of Twisted Sister. Crazy. Yeah. But Eddie's not the type of guy that wants you working on his guitars. He, you know, I'm like, I'm your, I'm your guy. You know, but he doesn't want you working on his guitars. Okay, no problem. I understand the relationship. So does he work guitars. on them himself or he has a guy at home or something? He's got his guys. <laughs> FU Tone, giving them a shout out. Uh, so what happens, guys, what happens on tour though? Like, do you, you, does he want you to take it to a shop? No, just restring, polish. Don't fuck up the intonation. Don't yeah, but if something goes wrong with it, no, I have no choice. I have no choice to dig right. in and make it happen. On this yeah. very day uh, in Hungary, we're back to Europe again on a fucking another ha- holiday or some shit like that. And uh, his tr- uh, his Floyd Rose piece broke where the saddle is. Uh, and I've got no more left in the in, in the tank. I've got no more. 
So I'm like, so I, I start calling a bunch of places in Hungary. I'm like, they're like, no, nah, we don't understand you. Click, 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 mm-hmm. click. The very last guy, he's like, oh, yes, uh, I think I have a few pieces. Come, come to shop. Come to shop. I go, all right, mm-hmm. come to shop. I come. I'm like, coming. I fucking Here love I Twisted Sister. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, try to, I try to use this weight with, with, with people out there, but this... People in Hungary weren't giving two shits about Twisted right. Sister right now. <laughs> right. I found this, like, it was like the fifth guy I called. It's a Sunday again. And I get to this guy's shop and he starts pulling out the plastic, like, little cubicles of, like, all his tools. And I'm like, stop. What is that? Like, oh. And he shows it to me. I go, I go, that's the fucking piece. That's the set. That's the one that matches what I need right now. How much do you want? He goes, oh, you know, whatever. I go, take three times about. Here you go. Here you go. Yeah. So, and then I didn't tell Eddie about that until the end of the show. He's like, oh, he goes, oh, well, you did that? I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm your guy. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's you're paid to, you're paid to do that. And he's like, because the wasp guy said you were a little <laughs> bitch. <laughs> go out. Yeah, I got a bad, you got a bad reputation with wasp. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I didn't have to bring that up again. I guess I'm. No, please do. Now. I, I bring it mean now. I love with, it. Uh, I love the humor of it all. I got a Canadian one since you wanted Joel's story. So I was, uh, I'm with STP and we're up in, I think it was Montreal. And, uh, the, 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 the guy picks us up and he gets in. It's always the same. He goes, Oh, nobody in the bands in here, huh? And we're like, no, dude, it's just the roadies. So he starts driving us to the gig. The gig's like some hockey place. And, uh, there's a bunch of cops. They're not random cops. They're fucking real cops. And the streets blocked off and they got the barricades. And the guy pulls a passenger. It's just a white passenger van. He pulls it up to the guy and he goes, international rock superstars move the barricade. And I shit you not, all the cops scurried to move it and let us go through. And, I'm, and we're all kind of like, whoa. And I, I just remember laughing. Like, if you said that shit in L.A., they would have beat the fuck out. And then I asked him, I'm like, what the fuck is an international rock superstar? He's like, I just came up with it on the spot. You know, like, that's great, <laughs> man. Oh, yeah. So uh, you talking about Eddie Van Halen. Uh, he's the only rock star to make you cry. <laughs> it was, was that tears of joy or what's uh, tears of joy? Tears of oh, joy. Yeah. What, what, what happened? So once again, I'm working with mates and I remember uh, having kind of a, a quasi working relationship with uh, Matty Brock, which was his right hand man. And uh, he would be coming to the warehouse a lot, picking stuff up, et cetera, et cetera. And he'd give me a chance to let him chew his ear off about speakers and stuff like that. Matty's a real in-depth tone guy, speakers, amps, tubes, yada, yada, yada. So, like, I think I just maybe uh, set the right impression with him. Uh, couple, uh, c- couple of months after that, after kind of knowing him for a while, I remember pulling up and I'm backing up into the dock at Mates. And I hear, like, whistles, loud whistles, you know? And I look at my, I stop the truck. I'm like, what? You know, I'm trying to back up a truck here. I see this Porsche, you know, on the dock and everything like that. And I see Matty Brook. And my two bosses, Matt, uh, I can't remember their names. And uh, I'm like, well, well, what? They're just like, they're just like, stop the truck, get over here now. I'm like, all right, what did I do wrong today? So I jump up on the dock and I'm just like looking at them. And, and by the time I jump on the dock, they're just like, they're like proud fathers. They're just looking at me like, 
<laughs> I'm like, what? what? What's the rush? What's the fire? And like out of a movie, I like got out of a, a slow motion movie, the door from the Porsche opens up and Eddie gets out. He goes, what's up, Keith? I'm like, <laughs> Fucking what? Really? <laughs> and they're just they're just sitting there and they're watching this because they get to talk to Eddie every day and I don't. Right. And they're just like sitting back, let me enjoy this moment. And Eddie just comes up and he just bro hugs me and he just like he gives me that confidence. He looks at me, he goes, What's up, man? How are you, man? Yeah. I go, I just like I'm like, you know, like I couldn't believe I didn't even take a photo of it. You know, like every day yeah. everybody's got a camera. Like I, I didn't even think today, like after he died, I was like, wait a minute, you didn't get a photo of that? You fucking idiot. <laughs> but he just sat there, you know, it took like a minute and he was real cordial and Manny and him, you know, jumped in the Porsche and started getting out of there. I, by the time I jumped back to the truck, my mind's racing a million miles an hour. And I, I'll never forget Manny coming to, to the warehouse the next day. And he goes, hey, man, I just want you to know that, you know, Eddie, uh, Eddie and Matt start going past me as I'm backing the truck up and Eddie goes, stop the car, stop the car, roll down the window, roll down the window. He goes, well, thanks, honk. Well, thanks for saving George's guitars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he just looks at me and he's like, he's like, Keith, Keith, thumbs up, thumbs up, Keith, thumbs up. He's pointing at me. I'm like, fuck yeah. And Jesus. Matty was really nice. He was like, yeah, man, he, he made sure that I stopped and rolled down the window and just made sure that he, he, he sent you some love. So oh, super cool. All right, Keith. So another one here is uh, you got to play with your idols. Who are your idols? Why are they? Uh, why are they your idols? And how did uh, you these guys? Well, you know, I'll save D for later. But um, D is one of my idols, of course. But one of my idols that I got to play with as as a young buck was Sam Yaffa from Hanoi Rocks and Todd Youth. Todd Youth was in Murphy's Law. He was in Glenn Campbell. He was in Danzig. He played for Ace Fraley. Uh, it was a unique thing when I was playing for Jesse Camp. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very, very unique story. That's a whole nother episode. But, you know, he, he basically assembles this band of Sam Yaffa, Todd Youth, Joe Rizzo from New York City, great punk rock and roll drummer from New York City. And I'm just kind of like, I'm young. I'm like 18, 19 years old, scratching my head going, how is this happening? You know, I mean, I am a really, really extremely big Hanoi Rocks fan. I am a very, very, very big uh, uh, fan of all music from Sweden, Norway and, and, and uh, Finland. Uh, so it was kind of unique, you know, like I got into the situation with Jesse, you know, and it kind of like, I wasn't, you know, Jesse was, a, Jesse was a compulsive liar first, by the way. Okay. So like, I didn't believe that I was actually going to be in this band. So that one day, uh, Sam called me, Sammy, he goes, Hey, just come over, just come over and let's just play the, 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 the set together. You know, we played the album together. I remember playing the album and a couple weeks later after the album was released, the ma manager for Jesse camp, uh, Charlie Steller from Tin Pan Apple. Charlie Stetler was responsible for the Fat Boys, DJ Scribble, Michael Monroe. He had his hand on a lot of cool things, especially via MTV. And I'll never forget in his accent, he, he went from a European accent to a straight American accent and fooled me and said, uh, he goes, I won a lottery and uh, I was basically welcomed into the band 
but my audition was with Sammy and I didn't know that. I brought over a shit ton of pot, shit ton of hash. I was just trying to have fun. I was late <laughs> for the thing. And, you know, I was just trying to have fun, enjoying the moment. But little did I know that that was kind of my audition. Cause I guess between Jesse and Charlie, nobody had the music sense to see or sense out if I was actually legit enough to be in this band. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of unique because I mean, like Zeppelin, like the Beatles, like Kiss, Hanoi is very, very, very extremely special to me. Hmm. And to, you know, my, my favorite show, I think the greatest rock and roll show that ever existed, especially the one that I was never at, is Hanoi Rocks at the London Marquee. It's on YouTube. I urge everyone to go watch it. It's the most energetic rock and roll, punk rock and roll show ever. I become Hercules when I think about it. And Sammy is just like this adorable, amazing bass player who was just really... Uh, captive and uh, just a really big impression on me as a little kid. And just by the time I'm 19, I'm on stage yeah. with him, you know, and it was, it, 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 it still means a lot to me. I think I've pissed him off actually in the past year. And I reached out to him recently and I kind of uh, sent him a message and an email. I won't tell you why I pissed him off, uh, but did you blame Steve? <laughs> I blame Steve. I yeah. did. I blame Steve and Blackie. And Blackie Wallace, but <laughs> it's definitely Blackie being, Wallace's fault. Being a little candid, but uh, you know, uh, th that was a, that was really a big impression on me playing with those guys, especially as a, as a young kid. But I got a question I like to ask people. So I was trying to come up with podcast, and uh, my my buddy uh, has a fifth grade kid, and she said you need to ask your guests when they first felt famous. So bear in mind it's from a, a fifth grader. So the way I think it looks. The idea of it all is when was the first time you remember looking out at an audience or whatever happenstance we're talking about? And you were like, mm, fuck yeah. <laughs> what's the first, uh, what's the incidents that comes to mind? For me, I was, a, I was 21 in 94 and my band, I was in a, a drummer in a grunge band called Pushing Up Daisies. And we had, we had songs on, on what is MTV here is called Much Music in Canada. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we were touring the country and we had our, our song on heavy rotation and uh, every show was was great. That's I think seeing myself on TV was probably in the 90s. It, it, nowadays, anybody could be on YouTube or whatever. But like to get on TV clearly, in the 90s. Clearly. Yeah, cl clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> but uh, like and subscribe, everybody. Yeah. Sorry. So we were <laughs> having a moment. We were having a moment. Sorry. Yeah, they created the internet just so I could remain on TV. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was the first time I felt good. You know, you're playing to about four thousand people on the street, and uh, it was it was pretty cool. You know, it's very yeah. cool. Now I'm like a big fish in a small pond because I play a lot of pubs, and it's you know the drunks love me. <laughs> you know, sober the people. Life As a drunk, I, I I appreciate that. You already appreciate yeah. me. I, I feel comfortable <laughs> saying I like. Yeah, I like you already. All right. <laughs> the first time I felt famous was this very unique gig. I was on tour with Jesse Camp in 1998, yeah. maybe 99. We were opening up for In Sync. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I brought this up in the last. I worked for In Sync for five minutes. Did you Jesus. really? That's yeah, I was a lighting guy for instinct for no for... shit. Yeah. So it was like, you know, this crazy tour, but <laughs> we weren't like on the main stage. We were like at the Pepsi stage, you know, like before the gates opened up, kind of opening up. I think we, it was me, us, 
Uh, it was Jesse Campbell, the Street Kids, and Mandy Moore on the Pepsi oh, stage. So the guy so, I interviewed last night was the tour manager on that gig, dude. He was the Mandy Moore. That's <laughs> crazy. I would love to talk Thomas, to him. Dude, that was last night. I got. I can't wait to hear that. Uh, he great. So He's awesome. Anyway, I remember we were in. Uh, Greenville, North Carolina, or Greenville, South Carolina. I get them all mixed up. So we come out to the show. I mean, I'm looking all Andy McCoy, the big hat, the, the black and white pants, the leather, the flying V. The band's looking glam as everything. But there's this. you got to understand, an instant crowd is mom and daughter, or mom and the three daughters, or mom and the daughters and the neighbor's daughters. Right. There's no guys. All right. Okay. So they're just fucking screaming at the top of their lungs. Like, I'll mm. never forget this one game. They were crazy. They're ripping, like, ripping at our clothes. My hat gone missing. My nice John Bottom leather cowboy hat's gone missing. And I couldn't hear anything on stage. Like, the, the pitch of the volume of the noise got so loud. I just kind of looked at the, the guitar player. I stopped playing. I go, I, I can't even hear anything right now. So at that mm. moment, I said to myself, oh, my God, I think I know what it felt felt like for the first and only time of my life to feel like a fucking beetle. Like, yeah. I, I was going to say, beetle. that's like being the Beatles yeah. on Sullivan or on Shea Stadium. Oh, yeah. Stadium. It was the best thing in the world. It was the best in the world. Fortunately, at the, towards the end of the gig, I was able to uh, trade a bunch of bracelets and cowboy hats for a bunch of weed and everything like that. So it worked out real well with the moms. So I actually, <laughs> I got some clothes from that gig. Hold it on real quick. You're going to like. Wow. <laughs> clothes. I can't wait to see this. Wait, there's got any instinct t-shirts? <laughs> you know, speaking of while he's uh, over there, we, we. Uh, we're reprimanded by the NSYNC management. Oh, here he comes. Let's see. What is he got yeah. here? So this is, this oh. is one of Justin's outfits from NSYNC. Wow. <laughs> oh, sweet. It's just Gucci. That's hilarious. I think it's Gucci. Let's see here. I was kidding. I was going to say. No, yeah, Dolce & Gabbana. Dolce & Gabbana. Oh, oh, oh fancy. Are we fancy? Holy shit. Yeah, we got reprimanded by uh, NSYNC's management because uh, – after the NSYNC gig, you know, we're a bunch of, we're five rock and rollers, young, amped up rock and rollers that just want to go out and mingle with women and fun and have some fun. So yeah. we go out there and we're just kind of like selling CDs and we were, because I, that's another story, by the way, <clears throat> Jesse Camp shipped uh, 300,000 CDs and in their first two weeks, they sold 3,000. Ooh. Wow. And I'll, I'll never forget, like, uh, me and Jesse go to do a signing in uh, Hicksville Mall, out where I lived. And I figured that was like, that was what I, when I thought I, I got famous, I was like, oh my God, me and Jesse, we're going to do sign autographs. There's like thousands of people waiting to get our autographs. I just couldn't believe it. It was the weirdest thing in the world. But long story short, I see the manager take the call. He's like, how many records? And he like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that was it and the next year and a half it's like after the show at every gig we're like selling cds to try to get rid of this shit mm. but it got to the point where we were we were uh causing such havoc that we were actually stealing away a very high percentage of sales from in merch at the end of oh, the fun. night 
Oh, so wow. they were like, they were like, hey, listen, if you guys don't get the hell out of here after your gig, you're gone off the tour. So management uh, did what they had to do. I did a we were uh with the cranberries in Las Vegas, your land. And yeah. we went out for the night, and Fergal's the drummer, a great guy. And they when you're on your bridal, what do you call it? when you're gonna get married, you go party, the chicks go do their thing. Sure. And they had a list of stuff to do that night. And one of them was to take a picture with the rock star. And they handed the drummer of the cranberries the camera to take a photo with one of the roadies. They didn't know who he was. And I'm looking like, I got to tell him. I got to come on. I got to tell them. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm like, we're in the U.S. Nobody knows who your band is. No one gives shit about you. And he's like, no, seriously, do not tell her. Do not tell her. I'm like, oh, God, I got to tell her. I got to tell her. Well, you've seen that. You've seen that guy, Eddie Van Halen's at a tool show. And somebody asks, hey, he gives the camera to Eddie. Thinking he's just some fucking old guy in the audience. Can you take yeah. a picture of me in front of the stage? And Eddie and Eddie takes it. And he never tells him who he is. I love it. He's There's a good one. Now this guy's all over that. the internet. And he's now he must know. He must have seen this. He's basically a meme he's like, now. What? I fucking yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's a meme now. Exactly. Yeah. The fucking idiot who didn't know Eddie. You know? There's a good one. It's with a Matthew Broderick and Jerry Seinfeld, and the guy takes a picture with Matthew Broderick, and he doesn't know who Jerry Seinfeld is. <laughs> oh, so Jerry shit. Seinfeld's in the back of the picture like this. It's fucking great, dude. <laughs> well, guys, I really appreciate it. That was super fun. Yeah, man. Left all power. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah, it, it doesn't even seem like a podcast. Sounds like three geezers getting together, having a good time, man. That's yeah, the man. that's the hope. I don't know if it's, it's good awesome. or not, but it was fun. Shameless plug. Uh, I'm uh, managing a uh, online retail pro audio company, uh, eStudioStar.com, and uh, Accessibles.com. And uh, you know, over the year. Everybody wanted to be an internet star, so I had everything they needed: interfaces, speakers, accessories, microphones. That's cool. A little crazy, yeah. So I've been very blessed. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rock Star. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter. Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.